That's quite a reading, isn't it? Can you imagine having Micah's job to be the bearer of very bad news? How hard it would have been to bring those words of judgment from God to his people. And not just because it would have made them unhappy or him very unpopular, I guess, but because those words of judgment coming for the people were also the words to Micah. Micah was one of the people. He was entering into these times himself. And everything that the people knew and took for granted was about to change. Things that they thought were their birthright were lost. Their lifestyle, their land, security, loved ones, even their own lives in some cases. What Micah forewarned played out when Assyria conquered them and then later when the remainder were exiled into Babylon. And when he prophesied, he made it clear. This is God coming in judgment. His justice was being worked out in these events. And in that last chapter that James read, and I'm not going to go blow by blow through all of it, but in that last chapter, something extraordinary happens, I think. We hear Micah respond to the prophecy that he relayed. He pours out his own heart as he comes to terms with the fact that it's all over. He speaks for himself and for those who have suffered through that time. And this chapter reminds me a little bit of the Psalms. It has that same quality and pattern that many of those ancient songs in the Old Testament songbook have. They are the words of an individual crying out with sorrow at the weight of their own sin and also the just injustice that they've experienced because of the evil deeds of others. There's a wrestling that goes on to make sense of it all in light of their relationship with God. And while this is a heart cry in a specific time and place, it's useful for others across the ages to use in their own times of suffering. Jesus himself cried out like this on the cross. And we can too, as we continue to live in times that are sometimes very frustrating and very sorrowful, we can be supported and formed spiritually by these words of Micah. As I've worked through the passage in the past couple of weeks, I've had another more recent song in my head. And so to quote Elton John, something I thought I would never do, when all hope is gone, sad songs say so much. So turn them on. I'm inviting us to read Micah 7 today in a way that, uh, to let it resonate to shape our own responses to hard things that we're experiencing, personal sorrow, community grief, global strife. There are three things that Micah does here to reckon with his hopeless situation that I think are helpful for us. They overlap and they interweave, but let's look at them as three separate things. First of all, he laments. Secondly, he exercises his faith. And thirdly, he builds his hope on the promises of God. So first of all, in that first verse, he, he starts to lament. What misery is mine, he says. Lamenting is allowing yourself to grieve openly, to regret, to confess, to be sad about how things have gone wrong. 
I'm like one who gathers summer fruit, he says. At the gleaning of the vineyard, there's no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land and not one upright person remains. Mike is saying it's like when you go into the field after the harvest has happened and you're looking for a snack. Just the leftovers and there's absolutely nothing there. There is no silver lining, just desolation. There's not one single good person to be found. It's hopeless and he speaks it out. I want you to think for a moment about how we as a church lament each year on Aboriginal Sunday. What do we do? We take time out to reflect on the injustice towards First Nations people. We speak it out loud and we sit and we listen to injustices that have happened in the past and the things that are going on now even though we really should know better. We take the time to be sorry for our part in the problem and feel the weightiness and complexity of the situation. We hold the pain up and out for all to see instead of hiding it away or pretending it's not real or not so bad or not our problem. God calls on his people to lament and long for things to be different. It's a painful thing to do. It's a humble thing to do. It's a reality check where we just admit and allow ourselves to feel life is sometimes so unfair and so hard and so messy and we're not going to pretend otherwise anymore. Look at how Micah continues to lament. He speaks about the injustices of Israel's leaders Verse 3, the ruler demands gifts, the judge accepts bribes, the powerful dictate what they desire, they all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. You won't find help or true justice from our human leaders, he's saying. It's not just that they'll ignore you. Even the best of them will hurt you, like pressing a thorn into your outstretched hand. It's so bleak. And so he says, verse 4, the watchman must sound the alarm. Beware, now is the time of your confusion, Micah says. God is visiting his people and it should be a thing of joy, but it's not this time because he's coming as their judge. And who can be trusted? Who can help in this time, he asks? Not your neighbours, not your friends. Not your lover or your family even. Verse 6, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. The sin of Israel is wide and deep at this point. You cannot even rest easy in your own home. And what this lament of Micah, this truth-telling exposes is this. Sinfulness reverses God's desire for our lives and for his world. It leaves us miserable. Do you remember how Jesus summed up God's law, his desires for us and the way we should live? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Micah is living in opposite land. 
and there's no one who can fix it. And this is why God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He cannot let things go on like that. The world needs God's justice if we are ever going to truly live in peace. As we read those verses, we should be reminded of the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. Would these words of Micah come easily from his mouth in that time? I think they would. It was a time of great confusion when those who were meant to protect and lead sought his blood, when his friends betrayed him, denied him, abandoned him, and when the justice of God was perfectly satisfied on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried. Jesus takes our suffering onto himself and cries out in lament. It's hard to cultivate the practice of lament. Speaking for myself, I much prefer to think that things are not so bad or that I can fix it myself and my circumstances to my own satisfaction. But the brave work is facing and admitting the hard and sorrowful things. And we can grow confident if we trust in Jesus to lament because our faith will prevent us from despair. We see this. Micah shows us uh, that when we lament, we should also exercise our faith. Just as you exercise your body to keep it healthy and strong, so too we do well to flex our faith in tough times so it becomes resilient and so we grow into maturity. And what this looks like is trusting in God's character and his resources and not our own. We see Micah do this in verses 7 to 9. He says, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. Even though things are terrible right now, he remembers God has not abandoned us. He even speaks boldly to the enemy. Verse 8, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Is this just wishful thinking on his part? Isn't God the one who sent the punishment? Because I have sinned against him, he continues, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light and I will see his righteousness. Here is understanding that sin has consequences, but also a knowing that the punishment is not the end of the story. Micah knows that the one who judges him will also save He will save Israel. It may sound counterintuitive to run for safety to the one who is punishing you. But if you've ever experienced the love of a very good parent, then what you know is that when they correct you or punish you for something, they will also be the one who will comfort you and love you through the misery of being grounded or sent to your room. Flexing faith is remembering that we are in relationship with a merciful God. Do you remember what Micah's own name means? I think Denise told us in the first sermon. 
It's a rhetorical question. Who is like the Lord? And the answer is no one. In verse 18, he says it again. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You see, when God's justice rises up, as it does in the book of Micah, as we see, then alongside it also rises his love and mercy too. They're not in opposition. They are at the core of God's character. And we are also called to trust in him as he truly is. And what that means for Israel and what we are reminded of here also is that God will not let suffering go on forever. God's justice always comes in perfect measure, like a perfectly portioned meal to match your needs. No more, no less. The death of Jesus is enough to cover all our sin. It is finished, he also cried on the cross, didn't he? Once and for all, the price was paid there. His justice comes in perfect measure, but his love and his mercy have no limits. They are abundant. They are overflowing like the ridiculously overcated party of a generous host. In Ephesians 2 verse 4, Paul says that God is rich in mercy. This is the only time in the Bible we hear what God is rich in. He is rich in mercy. He made us alive in Christ, Paul writes, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. Micah believed that God would be his light in the dark place, that though he was the judge, he was also the one who pleaded his case. And this was before Jesus came and paid the penalty as well. Do we who know the work of Jesus believe this too? Do we really believe this? That even in the worst of times, and even when we are to blame for the mess, God will not abandon us. When it feels that way, remind yourself of this again. God's plan, his heartfelt desire is to love and restore you. Be merciful to us all over again. If you are someone who haven't placed your trust in Jesus, can you consider this today? That as soon as you do, the price for your sin will be paid for completely. You will never have to live in fear of God. Instead, you will experience his love and your fear will be transformed to awe and worship. Well, I personally find it hard to get into physical exercise unless I have a buddy. I want to encourage all of us today to think a bit like this when it comes to flexing our faith. We need each other's support, don't we? This looks like reminding one another about God's faithfulness here on a Sunday, in our community groups, even as we speak casually in conversation and offer to pray for one another. I also want to encourage you today to be more involved in this space that's set up over here. 
This is where our prayer ministry happens after the service. When things are not okay with you or you feel burdened by what's going on in the world, why don't you take a chance on being vulnerable and receive some prayer and encouragement here? And on the other side of that, if you would be willing to sit and listen and pray with others to be a trustworthy and empathetic person, a prayerful person, then I would love to encourage you to get involved in this ministry too. I would love to see this grow. It would say a lot about our community if we could lament and flex our faith together. Well, finally, the third thing we see Micah do here is build his hope on God's promises. Exercising your faith is about understanding and receiving God's mercy and compassion in the middle of the mess. And hope is about looking forward to the future and looking forward to God fulfilling all the promises that he has made. As I've already said, many of the things that Micah looked forward to have already been fulfilled in Jesus, in his life, his death and resurrection. We were dead in our sins and made alive in him. Jesus is that promised shepherd that Micah looked forward to seeing gather God's flock in verse 14, the one who guides us with love and kindness. Jesus is that one righteous person, that good leader that Micah could not find anywhere. At Christmas, we often read that section from Micah chapter 5 that says, and I'm just, I've compressed it here, it says, but you, Bethlehem, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel. He will stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Our hope must be built on Jesus, looking back at the cross, but also looking forward still because we're still waiting, aren't we, for the struggle and pain to be completely done away with forever. Building our hope on God's promises is saying, I know that this is not the end of the story. The best is yet to come. The New Testament holds the promise that Jesus will return again and renew things completely and forever. His greatness really will reach the ends of the earth. And Micah finishes with these words, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And how we long for that day when Jesus comes and fulfills this completely. I want to finish with an example of what it would look like to be doing these things in our church. And uh, we actually did a couple of weeks ago, and I have Anthea's permission to talk about this. A couple of weeks ago, Anthea, our friend, who's been sick for some time, learned that things are getting worse for her. So we held a prayer gathering. It was locked down again, so we had to do it on Zoom, which felt like insult to injury, honestly. But still, we sent out the link. And what happened that night was very precious. There were 40 screens on Zoom from all around the country. And together, we did the three things that we've seen in Micah 7. First of all, Anthea updated us on her health she told it to us straight, and it was hard to hear. But what a privilege to enter into that difficult place together and lift it all to God. As Anthea said to me in a text, 
People really prayed that night. She was so encouraged and she still is. It's still, you know, carrying her now. We exercised our faith, didn't we? Calling out to God and relying on his abundant mercy and love for Anthea. We asked for comfort, for healing and all kinds of specific good things. We even threw in requests for God to comfort us in this time. Why not, hey? His mercy and love are so abundant. We read words of scripture and remembered that God keeps his promises, that so many have already been fulfilled in Jesus and that we can trust he will fulfill the rest in his good time. We held on to the hope that the best is yet to come. God's light really shone in that dark place. Let's not make this a one-off. Let's uh, let this pattern of lamenting, trusting and hoping characterise our church. It will be for our good. It will also draw others into receiving God's love and mercy and forgiveness. And it will bring him great glory. Let me pray. Who is like you, Lord God, our Heavenly Father? Help us to grasp more fully the depths of your love for us. In times of suffering, help us stretch out our hands to receive your comfort and grace. Lord Jesus, our Saviour, our Good Shepherd, thank you for all that you've done for us. Holy Spirit, console us and be our strength in times of struggle. Amen.